Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. What do you see? Adult content. Keep looking. I see adult content that people might be offended by. What do you see? I see binge mode. The binge mode. I see that if people are offended by adult content, they shouldn't listen to binge mode. But if they like the show Game of Thrones, they should listen to it. Do you believe me now, Clegane? Do you believe we're here for a reason? Peace. Do you think that's what we had under your father? Or his father? Or his? Peace never lasts, my dear. Will you take a bit of advice from an old woman? He's a clever man, your hand. I've known a great many clever men. I've outlived them all. You know why? I ignored them. The lords of Westeros are sheep. Are you a sheep? No. You're a dragon. Be a dragon. Welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he is finished sawing through my future husband's pestering flesh. We're going to do our best on this one. (laughs) Whatever it takes. Really appreciate the diligence. It's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Hello. Jason. Yes. If you wouldn't mind... Bite down hard. You got it. <laughs> I'm sorry, but no one knows I'm here. And the way I like it. if they hear you screaming, we're both finished. Okay. I can keep it inside. <laughs> that that won't do because we are here to podcast. That's right. Binge mode awaits on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you are new to binge mode, we've got Episode breakdowns of literally all 61 previous <laughs> Game of Thrones installments waiting for you to listen to during your next surgical procedure. And we are going to keep our Thrones discussion going throughout Season 7. We're deep diving one episode at a time, now one week at a time. Spoiler slash speculation warning. Even though we no longer know what the future holds, we will still be going deep on details from the show and the books in the wider world at large. We're going to be discussing the scenes for the next episode. We're going to share our predictions and basically speculate pretty freely about theories and future happenings. So, again, I'm sorry, but please try not to scream (laughs) because it's time to break down Season 7, Episode 2, Stormborn. Jason? Yes. Why are you standing over there? Well. A foreign invasion is underway! You can can see the whole thing from here is the thing. (laughs) You can really get the lay of the land from back here. From back here, you can really just understand what's happening. Well, we're going to get ready for an invasion of our own here. So let's offer up a brief refresher on what transpired in this second installment by taking a quick trip down our very own King's Road. On Dragonstone, Danny and her council plot their next move as a massive storm lashes the island. Danny is uneasy. At long last, her invasion is afoot, but something feels off. 
Tyrion suggests that Danny conquer Westeros with as little destruction and bloodshed as possible. The better to bring the great houses to her side. Grey Worm enters the painted table chamber and brings news that Melisandre has arrived on the island. Melisandre, less cocksure than in her Stannis days, tells Danny that the long night is coming and only the prince or princess that was promised can stop it. She advises the Stormborn to invite Johnny Snow to Dragonstone. Danny agrees as long as John bends the knee. Danny unveils her plan. Yara will sail for Dorne while she'll pick up the Dornish army and ferry it to King's Landing. They, along with the army of the Reach, will lay siege to the capital. Meanwhile, Danny's unsullied will hit Casterly Rock. Later, the worm gets it in with Missy. His pink tongue, that is. Proud of you, big boy. A prodigy, just like Jon Snow. Just like Johnny. Although, I mean, to be fair, Where like... Where learn it? He has been hanging out, like, in an army barracks. <laughs> uh, do your thing. Plenty of people trying to do their thing in Winterfell. Yeah. Where a raven from Dragonstone has arrived. Yeah. Beat Sam's raven. This fast raven. Fast, quick ravens. Yeah. Raquan. <laughs> <laughs> this is the raven written by Tyrion. Yes. The message mentions Danny's massive army, her fleet, her dragons. Closes by dangling an alliance and inviting John to travel south to Dragonstone. John receives a raven then from Sam. Finally, finally. Yeah. Did you send the ravens, yes. Tolly? <laughs> and through this raven, John learns crucial intel. There is a massive horde of dragonglass under Dragonstone. Armed with this information, King John addresses his supporters. Great. King John just sounds good, by the way. It sounds like so absolutely right. King John. Sounds timeless. Like when you say it like that, it's like, oh. Yes. He's a historic king. I love it. King John addresses his supporters and tells them of the glass and of Danny's invitation. And then he tells them that he's heading south. It is an unpopular and possibly foolish decision. John attempts to assuage the concerns in the room by announcing that he will be leaving the North in Sansa's control. One more thing to do before departing, visit the crypts. Ned's statue is right. there at last. Very quick aside here. A lot of people asking us how they do this so quickly. Guys, years have passed yes, years on the show passed. since Ned has died. Years. years. Littlefinger interrupts John's private moment and just kind of gets right to it. I love Sansa. I love Sansa. (laughs) Her hair is a... Has a memorable shade, your sister. (laughs) John responds in classic John fashion and really in classic Ned fashion, as we'll get to a little later, choking Littlefinger in front of Ned's tomb. Choke me daddy, King's Landing! Cersei addresses... The recalcitrant lords of the Reach, Daenerys, with Elena's help, has brought a foreign horde to our shores. Is this how the Tyrells repay centuries of service, she says. It's a good pitch. And with a little extra sweetening, uh, you know, for instance, how does Warden of the South sound? Randall Tarly appears ready to declare for House Lannister. But what about the dragons? Kyber's been working on that. You guys know crossbows? Okay, now imagine a big crossbow. (laughs) I got the greatest minds. In King's Landing, working day and night on this incredible invention. Kind of a letdown. A little bit. Kind of a letdown. That's it? (laughs) (laughs) 
Big crossbow? Yeah, I don't know. Expecting more from Kyburn. Kyburn? <laughs> At the Citadel. Yeah. Archmaester Ebros examines Jorah. Guys, what a time. What a time in our lives to watch this playing out on our screens. It's like amazing. Ebros gives the grayscale stricken knight 10, who knows, maybe 20 years to live, but yeah. ah, in what condition? Well, right. not great. Only six months, he says, before Jorah is likely to go mad. He advises Jorah. Gently, but also not really. Like, yeah. he's staring at that sword. He's <laughs> like, you know, whatever you need to do. You want, I'll want give to you one day yeah. to do literally anything. Spend your time as you see fit. Yeah. I, the fact that I'm staring at and only at the sword right behind you means nothing. Interpret it as you see fit. Uh, he is obviously, you know, hinting not so subtly that Jorah should end it. Yeah. Sam... Realizing who Jorah is, making the connection to G.R. Mormon, yes. Sam's former Lord Commander, decides to act, to find a cure, to do whatever he can to help. He attempts Maester Pylos' experimental grayscale yes. treatment. Hey, it's worked at least once. <laughs> uh, though, you know, footnote, as Ebros points out, you know how Pylos died? Yeah. Grayscale. Touch of the grayscale. A lot of pus. A lot of pus. <laughs> Just, you know, face mask, Sam, is all I ask. The gloves uh, are good. The, glo- the gloves are good, but less good if you then touch them to your he face. Keeps, <laughs> he keeps doing that, too. Like, bringing the implements so close to his face, Sam. Just... Really tough stuff. Yeah. Uh, Sam encourages Jorah to guzzle down a flag and a rum, because it's going to hurt, yeah. and then proceeds to carry out a painful and... Truly revolting, truly revolting surgical procedure, a process that is then followed by the gnarliest smash cut in television history. Unnecessary, by the way. Right from the the pustule on Jorah's chest to the oozing pie in Mm. the Riverlands. In the Riverlands, in at the crossroads, Arya and Hot Pie together again. Pai tells Arya that John and Sansa have taken Winterfell back from the Boldens. What? Oh, and John is the king now. What? <laughs> Arya decides to head home and on her way as she's stoking her campfire. Her horse nickering nervously. Yeah. A snap of a twig. What's that? What's that? What, is, what it? is it? What is it? Is that Tiberius music? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. I want to apologize to you for like, I did I break your arm or leg? I was squeezing no. you with not... all the force no. in my body. I don't, I'm not very strong though, so. That was actually, I mean, you punched me a lot harder <laughs> at a different point in the show, not that point. It's, it's watching, watching Game of Thrones, it's a, you feel it. It's a it's, physical experience. It really is. It's emotional. It's physical. What a beautiful moment between Arya and Nymeria. We're going to, we're going to get well. into it later, but just incredible to see her again. She is really a majestic creature. She's big and beautiful. Speaking mm-hmm. of majestic beasts, <laughs> on the narrow sea, on the way to Dorne, Yara is about to savagely smash Alaria, basically in front of Theon. Again, what a fucking moment. (laughs) When mood killer. Yeah, tough. Euron's fleet strikes. Obara and Nim are killed. Zack, Maddox, whatever the (laughs) anti-bell is, give us the anti-bell for these two sand snakes. Gone 
but not soon enough. Nope. Yara, Alaria, and Tyene, who, remember, is Alaria's daughter, That's right. are taken prisoner. Ah, Alaria, Tyene, this priceless gift for Cersei that Euron yes. kept talking about. Theon, where's he, you might wonder? No. Just go over a swim. Peace. Literally flees the scene instead of attempting to rescue his own sister. Mal? Yeah. I know you don't like my sister. I but like everyone in your family. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. You don't know him that well. But you have to make a choice. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it by sticking it with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is shifting sands and changing plans. New friends, new foes, new fears, and new incentives everywhere. Characters are adjusting more often out of necessity than pure choice. With the end game drawing near, new plans can be a life raft or the thrust from the prow of a great warship that sinks your armada and your dreams alike just as you are about to get it the fuck in. Let's start with John and Sansa Let's. and Littlefinger. Let's. John's overarching goal is simply to save the realm from the army of the dead, and he will do whatever it takes to achieve that. His plan in that regard is incredibly simple. Find and mine Dragonglass. Step two, fight the White Walkers. That's it! Once Sam's Raven arrives with news of rich deposits of obsidian on Dragonstone, changes tack. Now his plan is head south, ally with Danny, mine the Dragonglass. Mm-hmm. Hope that her dragon fire and bodies can help in the fight against the White Walkers. From the perspective of John's subjects, this is really dumb. Uh, Sansa points out that their grandfather and uncle went south at the behest of a Targaryen. Points out publicly once again. In front of everyone. Can, guys, in front just of a everyone. note. Yeah. Start having some chats in private. You got to do that. Don't be like, I just got an important message, Sansa, and you will learn about it <laughs> next at this public meeting. Numerous members of John and Sansa's family have gone south at the behest of rulers, specifically Targaryens. They never came back. Think back to season one and the exchange between Cat, Ned, and yes. Lewin as they're discussing uh, Robert's offer of becoming uh, the Hand. Lewin says, a different time, a different king. Of course, the results were the same. Ned never came back. Right. And remember last week's theme. All of this has happened before these patterns are warnings. And certainly, like, if four of your previous family members went south and didn't come back, you need to think about this a little bit. Right. But John has always taken Ned's advice, as he will tell you. <laughs> time and again. Time and again. <laughs> deeply to heart. And since becoming king, he's really uh, elevated invoking Ned as a touchstone to just, like, crazy, crazy, crazy levels. Uh, I need to go to the bathroom. My father always used to say about going to the bathroom. <laughs> He can't go a minute without saying father used to say, P.S., something his father used to say. The man who passes the sentence should swing the sword. That saying, forget about the context, essentially is about responsibility. Don't ask a person to do something that you aren't willing to do yourself. To wit, John, the king in the north feels he has to be the one to head south to speak to Danny. He understands the risks. This after his grandfather, uncle, father, and half-brother over the course of two decades all marched down the king's road never to return. John, the king, not an emissary, not an ambassador, will go. He made the decision, so he will take the risk, which leads me to like a kind of like an interesting thing that I'm noticing from John, which relates to that. How much of John's heroism stems from, I guess you would call it like survivor's guilt? Right. Uh, he Great cheated question. death. He knows it. Thousands of people, including his own family members, did not. Why him? 
certainly he does not think of himself as something special. And he, he mentions this when he when he talks about um, being proclaimed king in the north. He says, I didn't want it. Right. You know, it's like I, I, I'm doing this because you want me to. Right. I'm doing I never for asked you. for it and I didn't want it. I, I'm doing it for you. Since Melisandre brought him back, John's actions have carried a suicidal tinge. At the Battle of the Bastards, he charged out far ahead of his army and tried to fight Ramsay's entire cavalry by himself. He was assassinated for his wildling resettlement policy. And now he's not just saying, yeah, they can live here. He's giving them a castle. That's forever. They're not going to give that up. And despite the very poor track record of Starks going south, he'll sail the Dragonstone at the behest of a queen whose father burned John's grandfather alive. Is that foolish? Is that heroic? Is that courageous? Or is John just looking for a good death? Whatever the case, that crazy bravery is why his people love him and why they're so devastated, devastated that he would leave them. Even Liana. Even Liana, because they understand that uh, whatever the danger, John will be at the front. They want him with them. John's specific plans change, but his ideals remain intact. He's focused on the larger goal. Always. The White Walkers. And doing what he thinks is right, even if it's extremely unpopular. And hearing John say Danny's name, wow, that was, I mean, that really is a moment. Incredible. We have waited so long. And we got it from both sides in this episode, yeah. both of them acknowledging the other person's existence. Yes. For for the first time and in such meaningful fashion. You know, we talked about this before in earlier episodes, the idea that really the two most important characters on the show and certainly two of the three or four like biggest breakout stars in terms yeah. of the actors ha- have just never interacted. It's crazy. Until this point. Wild. And to know now that we are heading toward that moment mm-hmm. is so thrilling. Um, John's approach with Sansa, his plan, his uh, the yes. way he treats her has changed as well. Um, in season six, before the Battle of the Bastards, remember, Sansa rightly complained that John didn't value her opinion, didn't ask her what she thought of stuff. After all, she knew Ramsay Bolton better than anyone. But the thought that Sansa could help a war effort never occurred to John. And he fucked that up. He knows it, and he's adapting to it. After Tyrion's letter arrives, John makes a point of asking Sansa what she thinks of Tyrion. You know him better than any of us. What do you think? And by the way, John has uh, strong opinions of his own about Tyrion. He spent some time with him going up to the wall. He understands uh, Sansa can add something to this effort. And Sansa is not necessarily changing her plans. She's been working at fits and starts toward taking control of her security since she covered for Peter, Peter, please, with Lord Royce (laughs) and Lady Wainwood. Back in season four, what changes the time frame? Everything is happening fast, faster than she ever could have dreamed. With John's decision to sail for Dragonstone, Sansa now finds herself the wardeness of the North in all but name, in command of a large army of Northern houses, Knights of the Vale, and Wildlings. Like the Free Folk might or might not take orders from her, but let's—I think the point stands. In that moment, in the moment that John said, "I give you the North," she became one of the most powerful individuals. In Westeros. Like, she's in the top three. What a moment. What an episode for the ladies. Yeah. Sansa has the North. Yes. Danny. Yes. About to mount her her attack, her quest to conquer Westeros. Cersei, obviously, making her play. Even when you zoom in a little bit more on Danny's, look at, think about Danny's war council. Yeah. Yara, Olena, Alaria. Obviously, a huge episode for Arya. Yeah. Ladies. It's amazing. Ladies. So Sansa is shocked by this, and what does she do now? Everything she's dreamed of in her hands in a second. 
And very troublingly, yes. in that moment of shock, what's the first thing she does instinctively? She looks for Peter because this is what they've been talking about or Scary. at least the thing that he's been suggesting to her. Speaking of Baelish, in six seasons, his goal has never changed. Create chaos, climb the ladder. His plans, though, are a different story. He's constantly improvising. How he creates that chaos and climbs that ladder depend largely on opportunity and circumstance. In his black and wilted heart, he's an improviser. <laughs> One moment, he's assassinating a king's hand. Then he's killing a king. Then he's hitting on a long, unrequited love, betraying her husband, putting moves on their daughter, <laughs> all before dealing her to a madman in a wedding pack. He'll do whatever it takes. If he needs to fill the irie with banshee sex moans, <laughs> he will do that. What's he doing in the crypts? He's testing John. Of course, Littlefinger loves Sansa in his own disgusting and morally stunted way, but he loves making power moves also, probably yes. more. Could Littlefinger be sniffing around for the possibility of a betrothal from King John? Why else tell John that he loves his sister? After all, it does make it a kind of sense, wedding the might of the veil to Winterfell. It's not a crazy idea. It's just that Littlefinger, as always, pushes shit like this too far. John right. strangles him, warning him in plain language, stay away from Sansa. This is another moment in which John forces us to remember Ned. Ned also choked Littlefinger against a wall by the brothel, remember, in season one? Oh, yes. And now John is doing it literally in front of Ned's statue. How did Littlefinger deal with Ned after that? Well, not a great story there. <laughs> John now heading south for Littlefinger. A new opportunity arises. Littlefinger is such a liar, though. Like Incredible I, liar. A phenomenal character, but it's... Is he losing his touch a bit? Like, does he's he actually not in control expect of this shit. John to take him seriously when he says to him, "You have many enemies, my king, but I right. swear to you, I'm not one of them." Yeah. Like, why would John or anyone who knows anything about the way Littlefinger has conducted himself in recent years believe that for a second? Yeah, he's as shook as we've ever seen him in the series. Future John question based on this moment. Yes. Bronzion Royce stands up. He says, I remember the Mad King all too well. A Targaryen cannot be trusted. And the camera lingers on John. What happens when John's lineage is revealed? Yeah. He's at once the best ruler in the land, the greatest hope for his people. And someone Northerners would maybe not want to follow after that truth is, is outed. Very concerning. Yeah. Very concerning. Plenty of concerning stuff happening down in King's Landing as well. Cersei is... Looking for allies, yes. just like she said she was going to. But she is not used to having to ask for help. It's no. basically not in her nature. So this is a foreign experience for her, but it's also a position that she is in because she put herself yeah. in it. This is the product of her own choices. And, of course, she on some level knows that. So what's her approach? What is her new plan? based on the circumstances that she finds herself in, her new plan, very sad to say, yeah. is kind of effective, actually. Yeah. Calling Danny the Mad King's daughter over and over again, using that kind of charged Fact language, associating Danny with foreigners, yep. savages, yep. making Danny seem not like the savior, the rightful ruler right. come home, but like a vicious invader who basically doesn't, not only doesn't care about what it means to be Westerosi, right. doesn't know, right. doesn't understand because she's not really one of you. That's the appeal that she's making. And the thing that's so distressing about this, 
especially in the context of our current political climate and the way that facts are always spun, is that Cersei, sure, is spinning the facts in order to suit her argument, in order to work in her favor. But the reality is that enough of the facts that she's putting out there work against Danny Mm -hmm. that Cersei doesn't even have to try that hard. She can just throw out a couple of these talking points, a couple of these buzzwords, and know that the people hearing her are going to respond the way she wants them to. Who is one of those people? Randall Tarley, Sam's father. He is a rigid, martial man of his words. He is racist. He is hateful. What is our experience with him? He told his own son and heir, Sam, that if Sam did not go join the Night's Watch, he would literally kill him. Why did he do that? Because Sam didn't meet his idea, Randall's idea of what an heir should be. What's our other experience with Randall? Seeing him host Sam and Gilly and baby Sam at dinner and the way he treated Gilly literally like something less than human, referring to that it, you know, using the language you would use to talk about a possession instead of a person. This is not a kind man. No. He's full of hate. He's, he's full of bitterness man. and yep. he's full of prejudice. Cersei knows that and that's what makes her argument so effective. Now, when all of these factors, all of these things agree with each other, when Randall's unyielding nature helps him in a war against foreigners in a way that doesn't in any way challenge his oaths either to his lord or to the crown, his life is easy. His life is simple. He's a man who has his ideals and can follow them. You swear an oath, you stick to it. But what happens when those beliefs clash? Then something has to give. So this is what Jamie and Cersei are basically trying to take advantage of. Yes, House Tarly is sworn to House Tyrell, but ah, you're also sworn to the crown. This makes me think about Filch, about Frey, who brought this point up earlier in the show's run. Well, yeah, like, sure, I'm supposed to be loyal to your dad, to the Riverlands, but what about the crown? We've heard this idea from so many characters. Jamie, of course. What happens? So many oaths. You have to swear them over and over again. Well, the Tyrells, as Jamie is all too eager to point out, are in league with a bunch of, this is their language, not ours, horse-riding savages. No matter which way Randall goes, whether he follows his own prejudice or the oath that he basically thinks is more important, he says, I've known Olenna since I was a child. He's going to have to adjust his plan. He's going to have to recalibrate in some way. And he says this to Jamie, you know, I'm a Tarly. That name means something. We're not oath breakers. We're not schemers. We don't stab our rivals in the back or cut their throats at weddings. I swore an oath to House Tyrell. And it's just perfect that Jamie is the person he's saying yeah, this to because it's amazing. the idea of the oath has been one of the most central parts of Jamie's character arc. You know, not that long ago, he was really cynical yeah. about the idea of oaths and honor, in part because of how, in his mind, Seeking to uphold one oath to protect the people ended up in his reputation basically being you forswore your oath to the king. Well, that's pretty complicated, and it's no wonder that he struggles with this after that. 
Remember, back in season one, he said, so many vows, they make you swear and swear, defend the king, obey the king, obey your father, protect the innocent, defend the weak. But what if your father despises the king? What if the king massacres the innocent? It's too much. No matter what you do, you're forsaking one vow or another. So where does this leave him now? Well, when he's around someone like Brienne, he can tap into the more righteous and pure part of that idea. Oh, the letter of the law maybe is too restricting, but I'm going to do what I think is right, and that'll have to be enough. When he's around someone like Cersei, well, he's basically just like her, just turning into Tywin in all of the worst possible ways. So his pitch to Randall pulls him aside. Be my ranking general. If we win, be warden of the South. And he makes the appeal based on the oath. You swore an oath to the crown as well. And when Jamie responds to Randall saying that he's known Olenna since a child. Jamie says, she was a great woman once. Now she's broken. She wants revenge so badly she brought the Dothraki to our shores. It's incredible for him to say this. It is so insane and amazing and ironic because the things that he is saying there completely and totally and perfectly describe Cersei. Sub the word Dothraki for any of... Cersei's basic savages, essentially, right? Her experiment mad rogue of a not even a maester. Not even a maester. Her (laughs) Franken-mountain. And it all fits. She was a great woman once. Now she's broken. She wants revenge so badly, basically, that she'll do anything. That's Cersei to a T. Yes. Does Jaime not see that or does he just not care? Well, one possibility. Maybe he's just too busy learning new names. Yeah. There's so many. So, Jaime, Rickon, is it? (laughs) Dick on. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> ah, Dick. Dicky. Dick. Great stuff. New Dick on looks great, by D- the way. I, I'm partial to previous Dick on. To Adam? Yeah, from to Unreal? Adam from Unreal. Yeah, I guess he's got other stuff going yeah. on. Attempting to recruit Randall is not the only plan unfolding in King's Landing, of course. There is also the dragon killing plan. Yeah. Randall raises the dragons in the what throne about room the dragons? in front of all the assembled. Well, what about yeah, what about those? What are you guys working on? And Kyburn kind of hints at the fact, <laughs> the fact that they have something going in a way that really gets like your blood up, gets right. you excited. Oh man, what he, what is he working on? You know, could it be the horn? <laughs> what has he figured out? Like it's Kyburn, so we're expecting I literally was waiting when right. he takes Cersei down to the dungeons yes, and shows uh... her Balerian's bones for him to be like you know, I've been just chipping away at the bones and right. taking that powder and turning Figured it into out. a right. substance that will allow us to reanimate right. Balerion's bones so that you can ride his skeleton into battle. And then he's like, big here's crossbow. a big crossbow. <laughs> big crossbow, guys. I just don't get it. It's what? How does that happen? Now, we should say t- w- artillery like that. Sure has been effective against dragons. There there's a but there, but I'll let you continue. Maraxes? Maraxes? That is, I should we should say that Maraxes was taken in the eye with a, a similar weapon. Um a full-grown dragon scales are extremely hardy. Yes, you fired a huge arrow into the bare bones of Balerion. Not covered by scales. Right. You know, this is It's concerning that he's bringing up the fact that Drogon was Pierced with spears, but Jorah was a lot younger than, much smaller. His right. his juvenile his armor dragon. was not as yes. fully formed. That's correct. Also, like just being like Cersei, 
press the button. Yeah, how like, you the, gonna... the actual dragon's going to be moving, dude. Right. Oh, miss. Okay, let's reload this thing. Come back in 10 minutes. I will say, though, real nice throwback to the Joffrey Marjorie scene. Oh, yes. <laughs> With oh, the crossbow in his yeah. chambers. <sighs> Finally, as far as Cersei is concerned, the priceless gift that yeah. Euron promised. It might not seem like much to right. us after we considered magical options like dragon binder or valerian armor. Yes. But we should not underestimate from Cersei's perspective the appeal of getting not only Alaria, the woman who killed her daughter, who killed Marcella, but also Alaria's daughter, yeah. Tyene. Euron kept the right sand snake alive Smart. here. And even though our final moment with the three sand snakes having a conversation was mama extremely annoying yeah. in very fitting fashion that mama line actually did serve as an effective reminder that Tyene is the one who would matter most to Cersei because of her relationship to Ilaria yeah what about Danny and her crew's plans a lot going on for Danny yeah she's anxious uh, you know this is this is a thing that happens you achieve your dreams, or you're on the cusp of achieving something great, and then you sit there for five minutes and you realize it doesn't feel as good as I thought it would. Right. She says, I always thought this would be a homecoming. It doesn't feel like home. Tyrion responds, we won't stay on Dragonstone for long. Daenerys, good. She wants to get moving, but getting moving requires agreeing to a plan. Tyrion, as usual, is trying to be the voice of reason, the voice of rationality. Conquering Westeros would be easy for you. Ah, but you're not here to be Queen of the Ashes. I think Tyrion's being a little too cute here, but we'll, we'll table that for later. We've heard this Ashes language before. Yes. Varys describing Littlefinger. And of course, it's what Cersei literally made herself. She is Queen of the Ashes. Tyrion doesn't want a plan that leads to short-term gains, but creates long-term animosities that would ferment into struggles. And crucially, he doesn't want a plan that leads to a lot of dragons, destroying a lot of property, killing a lot of people. So, what's the plan? Let's use our Westerosi troops, the Dornish and the Reach, to take the capital. Send the foreigners, the Unsullied, to knock over Casterly Rock. Splitting the army in this way provides political space for the lords of Westeros to come to Danny's side by casting the invasion as a righteous and native uprising, um, not a foreign war of destruction. And this is a potent critique, as Jamie's exchange with Randall Tarley shows. This requires Yara to sail down a Dorne, pick up the Dornish, and ferry them back to King's Landing. Thankfully, in the course of this discussion, Tyrion and Ilaria get into it over Marcella. This is only natural that this would happen. And yes. this is another exchange that uh, it would just be weird if this didn't happen. Euron's actions uh, in attacking Danny's fleet change her plans. How? We're not sure yet. She and Tyrion had crafted a careful scheme, but without her fleet, or at least some portion of her fleet, and without the ships that she sent to Dorne coming back with Dorne's soldiers, right. who were supposed to help Elena's army lay siege to the capital, what battle tactics will Danny have to employ? What will she do next? What state is her fleet in? What will the ripple effects be? We don't know yet. Perhaps more concerning, is there a mole in Danny's camp? Did mm. Euron use knowledge and proximity and expertise to find Yara's fleet and attack? He, he managed to sail his capital ship into just the right boat. Or did someone tell him where to look? There's no shortage of tension among Danny's counselors. Is there something more nefarious as well? One candidate, Varys, with whom Danny had an extremely interesting exchange at the top yes. of the episode. She essentially called him out on his ever-changing plans. 
Tyrion calls Varys a loyal servant. But Danny says, quite the opposite. He serves rulers when it's convenient and then conspires against them as soon as it's not. This is however you want to contextualize Varys's uh, actions. A fair critique. Yes. And this is understandably <laughs> worrisome to her. Think of it like this. If you start dating someone who cheated on his wife with you, you might feel good that he chose you. But you always wonder if he's going to stray again. It's in his nature. Mm-hmm. Especially when he's like, I'm serving love. <laughs> it's about love. Someone must. Someone must. <laughs> Uh, Always have my eyes open. That's right. Since his season one exchange with Ned, Varys has told people and us that he serves not a ruler, but the realm itself. Because someone must. Here he echoes that to Danny. What kind of servant is that? And he responds, the kind the realm needs. Incompetence should not be rewarded with blind loyalty. As long as I have my eyes, I'll use them. And he adds, but if you let me live, I will serve you well. I will dedicate myself to seeing you in the Iron Throne because I choose you. I choose you. Choo, 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 choose you. (laughs) <laughs> because I know the people have no better chance than you. And listen, that feels great. That's a kind of best of bad options endorsement. It feels good to be wanted. Does Varys very quickly skirt past the fact that his first choice was Viserys? Put that guy on the throne. He was fucking crazy, by Love the way. Love that she calls him out on that. Uh, yeah, let's get away from that topic as, as soon as we can. Of course, Daenerys brings all that up and then adds, if you ever betray me, I'll burn you alive. By the way, like Varys's, I've said, we've talked about this many times, but Varys's definition of quote unquote the realm is very narrow and always ends up with himself on the winning side. Uh, how does he get to decide what's best for the realm? It's a notion that's right. simultaneously altruistic or at least seeks to uh, portray itself that way. And it's extremely arrogant. And Danny, to her credit, sees that is wary of it. This is just kind of like a display of how hard it is to rule. Who can you trust? People will always seek to flatter you in some way. Some people are knocking this scene, but I think we think yes. that it's imperative that Danny asks these questions. Absolutely. She ha- These had to be asked. How could we trust her judgment if she didn't? Also, this is a continuation of the show's recent trend of having characters speak with the audience's voice. Think Sansa in episode one to ask the questions that we've been asking this whole time. Also notable, one of the ways that Varys wins Danny over here is by complimenting her on being able to change plans to suit the needs of the moment, like when she had to marry Drogo. And then there's Melisandre. Mel. <laughs> Just been hanging out there, there you know? She is. Just waiting. That's right. <laughs> the followers of R'hllor love Danny. Yes. The embodiment of fire, the fire queen, freeing slaves. Breaker of chains. Titles, titles, titles. titles. It's no surprise that Mel is drawn to her. And Mel is not wasting time. She gets right to the good stuff. The prince that was promised. Mel's plans have changed. She thought this was Stannis, which Varys (laughs) rightly brings up. Also, you know, credit to Melisandre to, like, not being as sure of shit as she once was. Right. She doesn't suggest as strongly now. She's evolving. Who, these, who the prince could possibly be. But she does say, the long night is coming. True. Only the prince who was promised can bring the dawn. The prince who was promised will bring the dawn. I'm afraid I'm not a prince. Danny rightly says, Missandei steps in with that uh, <laughs> linguistic hammer. Your grace, forgive me, but your translation is not quite accurate. That noun has no gender in High Valerian. So the proper translation for that prophecy would be the prince or princess 
who was promised will bring the dawn. Tyrion says, doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it? And you kind of understand why they shorten it. This is a huge moment for fans. It's yes. one that we flipped out of. This is when you we started lost it. punching me <laughs> like moderately hard in the chest. Because Sorry. it's just, no. I was excited. Listen, if you didn't do that. I'd be upset. It's really like, it's an incredible moment for people who pay this much attention to the show to hear that said out loud yeah. on the show. And again, the show speaking right to the audience. And then Mel brings up John. Prophecies are dangerous things. Oh, oh! <laughs> she would know. I believe you have a role to play, as does another, the king in the north, Jon Snow. And then Tyrion's like... The fucking kid I went Johnny? to Castle Black <laughs> Johnny, that moody. That motherfucker. Are you cute? It's like when you go on Facebook and you're like, this guy <laughs> is now, wait, what? Are you fucking kidding me? And it's really a great moment, as is hearing Danny finally discuss John for the first time. He sounds like quite a man. Indeed. Oh, yeah, he is. So I got such a chill then. It was great. Really incredible. Why doesn't Melisandre mention raising John from the dead? It's kind of a thing that you think you lead with that shit. Yes. Um, does she want to save a bullet in case plans change? I, I mean, I can understand not wanting to set up that expectation. Part of me wonders at this point if, because we also don't see John explain this to Sansa. It's is too, it just too complicated for the show to have to have characters explain this to each other? I think it's also... We touched on this up top. John is ashamed is too strong, but he's got complicated feelings on this. Right. He's not necessarily proud of the fact that he came back from the dead. Feels unworthy. Right. Melisandre also, people are distrustful of R'hllor in Westeros, and she understands that. It would be weird to broach that subject. I can understand from her point of view. She's been already cast out of the North and threatened with execution. Maybe don't immediately talk about the raising the dead stuff. <laughs> Tyrion goes on to vouch for Jon. I can't speak for prophecies or visions in the flames, but I like Jon Snow and I trusted him. Great. Fucking, it's really awesome. And the hint of that little, the, the Tyrion arrogance. I am an excellent judge of character. If he does rule the North, he'd make a valuable ally. The Lannisters executed his father and conspired to murder his brother. Jon Snow has even more reason to hate Cersei than you do. Danny's response. Very well. Send a raven to the north. Tell Jon Snow that his queen invites him to come to Dragonstone and bend the knee. Uh-oh. Bum, bum, bum. And there's Yara and Theon. Yeah. Yara's plans obviously always include a good fuck on the way to her next destination. Hell yeah. <laughs> But sadly, really <laughs> tragically, Euron halted Alaria's foreign invasion before it could really get Oof. underway. And it's too bad. right before Euron arrives, when Alaria became like the 90th character to turn to Theon and be like, why are you, what yeah, do you what do? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. what do you, what, what's what your, is your job? job? <laughs> Theon and Yara actually shared like a really sweet moment there. Yeah. Theon says, whatever my queen commands, and then Yara adds, he'll be my advisor, my protector. Uh, that. Did not last. Because when Euron strikes and takes Yara captive, Theon falls victim really quickly to the stimuli around him. Obviously, the word cockless that Euron issued, the mutilations that Theon is witnessing occurring around him, this triggers the memory of being reek. And he begins to weep. He begins to crumble. He begins to visibly regress. And painful moment when Yara 
just the disgust washes over her face, realizing that he's not going to fight for her. He's not going to try to save her. And sure enough, Theon drops his sword and abandons ship. So much for their plan, right? You're on cackles like a madman. And, you know, we don't know what state Yara is in right now, but it's not good for her. No, it's not. Euron has very clearly stated his desire to kill her. Why not just do it there in that moment? Well, because he must have something even more heinous than a quick death in mind. And what about Theon? Well, he, I think, you know, in probably most people's minds was close to being beyond redemption already. This just pushes him further to that point. And there's an interesting moment on the post-show commentary where the creator said, as we were writing it, we realized you don't just get over what happened to him. Right. This is a place that triggers the worst of that experience. And... You know, it's interesting to hear that because it is an explanation, but it's not really an excuse. Like, the plan that Theon and Yara crafted was to stick together. Right. That Theon would never, not only usurp, attempt to usurp, but betray Yara. Wouldn't abandon her. They were going to be in this. They were going to have each other's backs. They were really going to, for the first time ever, be a family. Yes. Be a team. And Theon failed to uphold his end of that bargain. Could he try to save her now? Maybe as he's swimming around, something will kick in and he'll say, "Ah, you know what? Guys, that was bad. Shouldn't have done that. Right. Uh, what is left for him at this point? Absolutely nothing. I mean, it's it's harsh because he has been through a lot. But the bottom, the bottom line is Theon is not reliable. He's not a person that you can put your life in. Into their hands. He's broken. He's a broken man, and he should be dead. A broken girl who is starting to be put back together, a little bit. Sure, Arya. I think she's. I think she's broken, and what's replaced the broken bits are things that are much darker than we would like to talk about. What if? What if it's all just cuddles with her oh. pet from here? I was really sad that she didn't actually get to touch. I know she reached. Nymeria. She reached. Well, let's go through this quickly. Arya camping at the inn. Right. Eavesdropping mm-hmm. on conversations about the state of things in King's Landing. She is mm-hmm. so committed to hurting Cersei that she's literally scouting over lunch. And her plans to this point have literally been murder people in vicious fashion. And <laughs> actually, this scene kind of subtly reminds us of that in a very nice way when Hot Pie comes over and Arya just grabs a pie off his plate, says, mm, this is good. And he says, you think so? The secret is browning the butter before baking the dough. Most people don't do that. It takes too much time. And Arya says, I didn't do that. Yeah. He's like, wait, what? You've been yeah. baking pies? That's right. She says one or two. She's just casually referring to cutting people up and baking them into pies right. and feeding them to people. That is concerning, guys. Is. That is really concerning. And when Hot Pie brings up the sept explosion and says, I can't believe someone would do that, Arya responds, Cersei would do that. Yep. Let's just keep reminding ourselves that Arya herself just wiped out an entire house. We're not saying she's Cersei, but she's done some dark shit yeah. too. And so that is why it is so crucial, so welcome, so wonderful that Hot Pie comes in with not only the ale, not only the meal, but the intel. Your family is alive. John won the Battle of the Bastards. John is king in the north. Just a side note here. How fucking cool is it that John's legend is yeah. spreading this far beyond Winterfell already? Like, he's not just a nameless bastard in the north anymore. He's a war hero. He's someone people are talking about in the Riverlands over lunch. This is incredible. Hot Pie continues. The Boltons are dead. 
Winterfell belongs to the Starks. Arya to this point has been fueled fully by hatred, by mm-hmm. rage, by a quest for revenge, in part because she had no reason to believe that there was anything else to return to. Now, hearing this, knowing that her family, some part of her family is alive and back at home, gives her hope, gives her purpose, gives her a goal that is something more than just murder and vengeance. And she literally, physically changes her plans by turning around, heading north instead of going south. You know, if she had known sooner that her family members were alive, would her would her arc be different? It's I a question so. worth asking. Yeah. Probably so. It's sort of tragic to think that if she had just been able to learn this sooner, she could have avoided so much of this. But that's not what happened. And so now here she is. And another question, of course, is, well, what if she had never sent Nymeria away? She you know, to. Arya did that to protect Nymeria. Yeah. She knew that Cersei would kill her, which, of course... Proved to be true because Cersei killed Lady, even though Lady it's haunting, isn't did it? not. It's just so awful. It's it's Cersei has been a monster the whole time. Yeah. Never forget that. Arya building a fire and her horse is getting anxious. Why? Well, guys, horses don't like dire wolves. Right. And here comes one. Suddenly, Arya is surrounded by a pack of wolves, and then our girl, our girl, she looks good. Approaches and she is huge and she is Ooh. beautiful and she is. Fierce. Such a cool moment. Book readers for years have been waiting for this because, you know, in the show, we don't have much of the Arya and Nymeria connection after their farewell. But in the books, Arya is having wolf dreams. Arya is experiencing some of the warg life that defines really Bran's existence. Whispers of a massive she-wolf roaming the riverlands, building her pack. Hints of Nymeria pretty pretty consistently throughout the yep. story. And so we've been waiting for this, and here it is. And is it exactly what we wanted? Well, I wanted them to just be cuddling on the couch uh, watching Netflix forever. So no. I guess in that sense, no. But it was almost more fitting that it occur right. and play out this way. Arya recognizes Nymeria right away. And Nymeria snarling, but ultimately does recognize Arya. Nymeria, she says. Nymeria, it's me, Arya. I'm going to cry. <laughs> Nymeria's eyes start to soften. And Arya continues, I'm heading north, girl. Back to Winterfell. I'm finally going home. Come with me. And she's starting to reach for her. Says it again, come with me. And Nymeria looks at her. And her eyes soften. And it's clear that she recognizes her and that she knows who it is. But she still turns and walks away. And it's agonizing. Yeah, It's agonizing for us. It's agonizing for Arya. But ultimately, Arya recognizes the truth of that moment. Her wolf is her. She is her wolf. They are one and the same. And when Arya says, that's not you, she's hearkening back. The show is hearkening back to season one when Ned was describing right. sort of this this typical paint-by-numbers existence right. that was going to await Arya. You know, your husband, your ha- your castle, right. everything that Giving a lady would do. What did Arya lots say? Of sons. That's, not, That's me. not me. And so she's looking at Nymeria and saying, we're one and the same. It wouldn't be like Arya to abandon her pack, her purpose, just because someone said to do so. And it wouldn't be like Nymeria either. They're both willful. They're both free. They're both independent. You know, we spent a lot of time last week talking about 
whether she was basically lost at this right. point, had just gone too far down the path of darkness. And this, this moment with it's Nymeria. It's a pure connection. It is. It's humanizing. It opens her heart. And it also is just, it's one of the strongest connections back to Arya's roots, yeah. back to her family, reminding not only us, but her yeah. of what she really is fighting for and of who she really is. Sam and your husband, Jorah. Mm. Sam isn't just changing his own plans. He's changing Jorah's, the Citadels, and by extension, God knows how many other people's. This yes. is a communicable disease, guys. If Jorah's <sighs> able to help Danny because of Sam, what does that mean? If Jorah spreads his disease throughout Westeros because of Sam, what does that mean? Ebro's in the morning. His diagnosis for Jorah basically boils down to uh Either ship this guy out to Valeria or have him kill himself because we can't do anything. Jorah is a lot of things, but he is not a coward. He isn't afraid to die. He's just afraid to lose Danny, and he's done that already. So what really is there left to fear? He writes her a suicide note. Khaleesi, I came to the Citadel in the last hope that the Maesters could treat me as you ordered. Even with all their arts, I am beyond any cure but the grave. I have had a longer life than I deserved, and I only wish I could have lived to see oh. the world you're going to build. God. Standing by your side. Oh, God. I have loved you since the moment I met you. Yeah. Love, Jorah Mormont. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. But then, is that Samuel Tarley's music? <laughs> or is that like the uh, squeak of a cart? Carrying many scary-looking implements. Sam's not a maester. Not a maester. Not he's even not a even. He's, the dude is not even an acolyte. He has no chains. But he's transformed fully from the self-proclaimed, admitted coward we met in season one to a courageous, experimental soul who won't take no for an answer. He wants those restricted books. He's going to get in there. He wants to save Jorah Mormont's life. He's going to do it. Can't get people to talk to you about the White Walkers. Whatever. Can't cure this disease? Whatever. Sam's just going to do what he needs to do. Once Sam heard Jorah's name, his decision was made. Try the Pylos procedure that Ebros in the morning said was so dangerous that it's now forbidden. You're Jorah Mormont. You're the only son of Jorah Mormont. My name is Samuel Tarley, sworn brother of the Night's Watch, training to serve as maester of Castle Black. I knew your father. I was with him when he died. You're not dying today, Sir Jorah. God, I love this. Sam. Sam. This is just, this is one of the bravest things, if not the bravest thing he's ever done. It's incredible. Because he didn't have to do it. You know, with the White Walker, he's up against, his back is against the wall. It's Gilly, the baby, and himself in the woods, and that's it. There's no way out. Right. Uh, you can just let Jorah die. Sure. You just leave him there. Of course. No one knows he's there. No one, you one know. Once you've looked into those eyes, though, <laughs> once you've seen that jawline. So he's risking not only his position in the Citadel, which is... Absolutely crucial yes. to saving the world. Literally Just to that. saving the world. Just saving That's the world. That's how important it is that he not get booted out. But also his own health. Yes. The health of Gilly and the baby, the health of everyone in Old Town, the health of everyone in Westeros. And we should add that a licensed dermatologist. You guys really should go to the ringer and check out Randy's article. He is... A ringer contributor, but also a dermatologist by day, and he wrote a, uh, and I say this with sincere affection and love for him, revolting article uh, about this procedure from the perspective of a dermatologist. Oof. A lot of screen grabs. I would highly recommend that you read it and highly recommend that you not read it anywhere near a meal. It's gross. <laughs> what happened to the grayscale tie-in that people thought they saw in mm. the book that Sam was looking at last week about ingesting... Dragon glass right. to perhaps 
cure the disease? Will that come into play? And then I think it's just time that we start asking at this point, what is the what what is the purpose right. of the Why grayscale, grayscale plot? What role does this have to play yes. in the larger story? Yes. Nerdist had a video, believe on Tuesday yeah. early this week, about essentially just trying to find a connection to the White Walker plot and right. how this could come into the end game. I mean, I think we've now spent enough time on this that it's like this can't just be right. Because it's gross or because we all really like Jorah. There's something else going on here. Correct. Hey, guys. Just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to Binge Mode. Jason. Yeah. If you ever betray me. I'll never... I'll burn you alive. Okay. I learned how from Danny, who is... uh, It's not hard. Literally always talking about burning people and who has been burdened by the idea of betrayal in a way that show watchers might not fully appreciate. So, in light of Danny discussing the idea of betrayal out in the open in this episode, and in light of the theorizing that's occurring around whether or not someone in Danny's camp could have potentially sold secrets... To yes. Euron or Cersei, please assemble the conclave, head to the Citadel, teach us everything we need to know about the book prophecy regarding Danny's three treasons and what role that could still potentially play on the show. Danny's treasons. Three of them. Visions and prophecies are some of the most fascinating aspects of this story. I particularly love them. I think uh, Mal does as well. Yes. Love them. Uh, The the cool thing about them is, one, we get to, as audience members, uh, interpret them somehow, try and figure out what they mean. The other really cool thing about them is watching the characters try to interpret what they mean, often misinterpreting them, often doing things that either uh, bring about the wrong result or spur bad prophecies into existence. It's really fun. The possibility that Euron was tipped off by a mole in Danny's crew is tantalizing. Certainly the evidence from the episode, if it is evidence, is suggestive of at least an attempt by the show to misdirect the audience, to plant that seed of suspicion. If Danny was betrayed, that would align with one of the numerous auguries found in the books. In book two, Clash of Kings, when Daenerys arrives at the House of the Undying in search of her stolen babies, she comes to a chamber that is awash in gloom. And there's a long table here, a blue decaying but still beating human heart floats above the table. And around this table sit a cabal of shadowy wizards. And they tell Danny, among other things, that the dragon has three heads. They tell her that she must light three fires, one for life, one for death, one to love. Then that she must ride Three mounts, one to bed, one to dread, one to love. And finally, three treasons you will know once for blood and once for gold and once for love. Taking these each in turn, some of the hints are pretty straightforward. The fire for life is Droga's funeral pyre, the flames of which hatched her dragon babies. One for death is likely the house of the undying uh, where her baby dragons uh, burned the wizards and burned the whole place to the ground. And the one for love, that's TBD. We'll, We'll talk about that later. For the mounts, one to dread is her dragon Drogon. And one to love is a lucky person out there. Jorah, get well fast, bud. Get that, Could be you. scrape that shit off, <laughs> cut that shit off, bite on that leather strap, and get to sun, Tarly. 
Finally, the treasons. One for blood. I think most agree is Miri Mazdur, the witch who, using blood magic, consigned Drogo to a vegetative state and cursed Danny's son Rago to deformity and death. Gold is most likely a book character named Brown Ben Plum. Uh, he was the captain of the Second Sons, and he switched sides when he thought that Daenerys didn't have a chance in the, in the coming war. The third might be Jorah, or Hisdar Zolorak, or someone we haven't yet seen. The question is, how does this apply to the show? Are there betrayals in Danny's future? You know who I don't miss? Tell me. Hisdar. Fuck Hisdar, dude. <laughs> Just that hearing his name sucked. just sounds like, don't miss that guy. We gotta talk about the fighting pits. <laughs> The fighting piss. We ain't gonna open the fighting piss, fighting piss, fighting piss. Maester. Yes. Commoners. Nobles. Mm-hmm. They're all just children, really. Sure. They won't obey you unless they fear you. It's patronizing, but I understand the point. <laughs> I don't I don't agree with the language, but I get what you're saying. Well, here's the good news. There's yeah. no room for yes. fear in our hearts. No. So let's head to the sept. Let's bathe in the light of the seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode. Lightning round style, you go first. What's number one? Number one is Sam writing a song of ice and fire. Hashtag yes. If you're <laughs> going to write histories, Tarly, Ebro's in the morning tells him, you have to do the research. If you want people to read your histories, you need a bit of style. I'm not writing a chronicle of the wars following the death of King Robert I so he can sit on a shelf unread and then... Sam kind of scrunches up his face. What? You don't like that title? What would you call it then? And Sam says, possibly something a bit more poetic. Also, spoiler, this wrinkle is like supremely fun and I really enjoy it. And I do think that this is the suggestion, also a very The Hobbit type Mm -hmm. of thing. But it's also kind of dumb because now we know Sam's not dying. I know, but I, I need that. I need that comfort and reassurance. I need it. It's such a dark world. It, the Keep Sam safe. Protect Sam. Dark and absolutely laden with terrors. Protect Ghost and protect Sam. Sam's fine. Number two, Jorah. Should he survive? I, yeah. You gotta think. You don't go through this yeah. and not survive. I mean, maybe something else will kill him. Maybe he'll right. die in battle or sacrifice himself to protect Danny. I can yeah. still definitely see something like that happening, mm-hmm. and I think that would be a fitting end for his character. It seems like he will not die from grayscale after going through all of this. So if he heals and if he goes and rejoins Danny's council, as she basically said he could, right? right? I command you, go find the cure and then come back to me, baby. Well, we now have to start to think about the fact that there are Mormonts in a couple of these Clans. Yeah. Jorah Mormont being with Danny, Liana Mormont being with John. Is that potentially good news? A bridge, a family bridge that could help John and Danny find more common ground if things don't go well for them when they meet right. up? Or could it go the other way? Because Jorah, as he reminds Sam and us, is dead to his family, was shamed them, was exiled. Liana is young, very young. She's 10 or 11. But did that hatred and prejudice and right. shame carry over? Would she welcome it. him? Right. These are questions that we should start yes. to ask ourselves at this point. Number three, Podrick, sex god pod, P-Pain. He's up at Winterfell, sparring in the yard, sports. A uh, lot, of, lot of watching sports this lot season. A lot of sports. Sansa like, and John were watching sports. A lot of watching the sports. <laughs> 
Question. Johnny, why don't you bring Pod down to Dragonstone where he could meet up with his old master Tyrion and they could have like really one of the most touching reunions that the show could possibly give us? I know. That's really a bummer. The fuck? <laughs> also related to that, where is Bronn? Where is Bronn? Bronn is just fucking neck deep in a brothel <laughs> right now. We need Bronn. Maybe he, he can go do. help out Tyene. You know, they had that moment. They had that where she threw it up on the glass and poisoned <laughs> they him. Had that, that was an intimate moment. Number four. Guys, where the fuck is Howlin' Reed? Reclusive man. Where is he? John is assembling every. He's going out of his way. To be like Nedumba, Alice Gostock, and people that they hate, that other northern houses now hate. Howland should be a real ally for John. Howland and Ned have such history. Howland was at Tower of Joy with Ned. He has information that we need. Also, his children, Jojen and Mira, went to help Bran. Where is this dude? I Where need him in this story. Why isn't he helping John? Why isn't he at Winterfell? Or why can't we go to Greywater Watch? We need this Kranig man in the story. Number five, Hot Pie. Is he going to die? Arya says, take care of yourself, Hot Pie. Try not to get killed. And he says, with just an absolute confidence of a master baker, oh, I won't. I'm like you, Ari. I'm a survivor. Yeah, boy. Yeah, I'm not sure, but you you know, I wish him I wish him luck in the pies to come. <laughs> the uh, in case you guys didn't see, there's an article, I believe, on BuzzFeed oh about that was the, too much. A, the actor who plays hot pie baking direwolf bread it's in real life. Much. Check it out. It's way, way, way too much. <laughs> Good on you, hot yeah. pie. Number six. Yeah, we return to this idea time and time again, and we'll continue to do so because it is. Important. Cripples, bastards, and broken things. We talked earlier about how truly cool it is that Tyrion perks up and is so excited when he hears Jon's name and that Jon receiving this letter recalls the way the letter ends is is something Tyrion said to him. All dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes. They shared a a moment in time that left a real impression on both of them. Why? Well, because they're both part of this cripples, bastards, and broken things group. The connection between them, it stems from that idea. It stems from that common ground. And it is crucial to the story that George is telling. And so it seems like it will be crucial to the rest of season seven, I hope. I've seen like people be like, would John really remember that fucking shit? Yes. Here's the thing. No one has ever spoken to John like that in right. his life, in his life. It's always been just bullshit lords and ladies talk, and no one has ever been like, here's a thing that you and I understand, and only right. we understand, and I'm going to talk about it with You're you. You're an outsider right. for your entire existence, and for the first time someone right. sees you. That is something that you would remember. Absolutely. Number seven. Yara Greyjoy with the MJ6 three-pointers shrug, <laughs> lifting that tankard of his tasting ale as <laughs> Elaria's hand creeps up towards her crotch, looks Theon right in the eye like, man, I just can't help but smash. What the fuck? I'm sorry, bro. You don't like it anymore? You don't like it anymore? <laughs> I can't even help this shit. I'm just here trying to like go to Dorne and pick up an army and like I've just got like a hand on my fucking vagina. I can't help it. I'm sorry, man. Just take a walk around the deck for 
an hour. I hope Yara finds a way out of this because yeah. she's got she's got more shrugs and savage burns to give us. I love sure her savagery. I just gotta say, man, like talk a big game, back that shit up, be a captain. She Don't- at least she like was fucking jumping. Down to the lower part of the deck, yes. charging into battles, At fearless. At least. Fearless. But, but listen, you're on like a top secret mission. Like, if you're going to... Yeah, keep fucking, an eye on things. Yeah, keep an eye on... I mean, just get chowed down on the deck. <laughs> you know, so you can watch what's going on. You're capturing the fucking ship. Let's go. Well, Mal. Yeah. I want to see you below deck. <laughs> Each episode, we're going to honor the person who played the game and advance his or her cause in some tangible way. And this week, the winner of our champion's purse sees something she like. Mama like what she sees! Let's make a Molestown whore-style case from Missy and the tongue. Listen. Life is is difficult. Life is short, often too short. One day leads into the next without any joy anywhere in sight. Missy, she's not just found love. She's found a lifetime of getting gone down upon by a really handsome guy. (laughs) This is a win, guys and gals and everyone. Shouts to Missy. Shouts to Missy. What? Her own shouts. A life. What a life. It's just great stuff. I like that they're also basically both wearing like the tearaway track pants. Dude, I may never see you again. I feel that tongue. Let's go. Guys, the actual winner of the episode is sadly you're on. But we want everyone to give the win in their hearts and loins. Well. To Missy and the tongue. The case for you're on. Really hate to give the W to a bad guy, obviously, but he swung things in a huge way. Danny lost valuable allies. She lost part of her fleet. That's right. The quick course of the Dornish army sailing up to establish a siege at King's Landing, all of that off the table. Of course, she still has boats. She still has the Dothraki. She still right. has the Unsullied. She has her dragons. Like She's not completely without options here, but that's a blow. Your first leg here goes poorly. That's, right. that's not great. That's right. Meanwhile, Euron, he got Yara for himself. He that's desperately right. wanted that. He sent Theon back into a reek tailspin, yep. and he captured Alaria and Tyene to deliver on the priceless gift that he promised to Cersei. He backed it up. He did. He also had that incredible entrance. That's like some fucking, like... <laughs> looks. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. It was like School of Rock or something. It the way was he incredible. just came down a fucking ramp. Incredible. Yeah. And of course, he also gets just major shouts for killing Obara. <laughs> for killing Barbaro. Is ba- it Barbaro? Barbaro? Yeah. And Nim. So thank you for that, Euron. We're, we're truly grateful. And just the psycho bravado of the way he was carrying himself from the entrance to the way he addresses Yara, give your uncle a kiss and then he he gets her in that chokehold and he shouts little Theon, ah come on you cockless coward, I have her come and get her he knows exactly how to manipulate these people to get them to crumble and to crack, now whether or not he used a, a mole's intelligence to find the fleet or just found it because he's an expert navigator and a strategist. Right. It doesn't really matter. The, the, the end result is the same. This is right. a big victory for him. Huge. This is a huge feather in his cap. It is worth asking, though. Yes. 
Absolutely. This is a common question. Could our boy here be in trouble? I mean, you know, the sand snakes are known for poisoning their blades. They're famous for it. It's possible. Get those wounds checked. Have Kyburn take a look. Kyburn! <laughs> okay, guys. If you let us live, we will serve you well. That's right. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you will join us again next week when we will be discussing Season 7, Episode 3, The Queen's Justice. If you watch the scenes for next week, you will know That's right. we are getting not only the Casterly Rock battle that we have long yeah. anticipated, but also Dan and John. Why do I keep calling her Dan? This is weird. <laughs> Danny and John in the same room. That's right. Can already feel the tears pouring down my face. Oh my god! In the meantime, between now and then, we have a whole suite of Game of Thrones yes. related programming for you. Please, please check out Talk the Thrones live on Twitter on Sunday night, right after the show. If you don't catch it live, you can catch up on demand. We will both be there. Our pals, Chris and Andy, will both be there. And, of course, you can also check in with Chris and Andy on The Watch on Monday when they will be doing some more Thrones discussion. Head to TheRinger.com. Read Ask the Maester, my favorite bit of writing every week. Watch Jason. Jason. (laughs) Guys, I need a nap. Everyone. Oh, my God. Watch Jason's Ask the Maester live and send him your questions on Tuesday. This past week, he was wearing the hound's helm and drinking (laughs) coffee through a straw and the hole in the helm. It was amazing. Who knows what next week will bring. A lot of great columns on the ringer. Just tons of great stuff, guys. Lots of great stuff. Check it out. Check it out. Till then. Yes. Remember, this is important. The secret is browning the butter before baking the podcast. Most people don't do that. My queen, we lost the fleet. Yara, what happened? (laughs) Well, uh, Euron's... Came up on us. It was amazing, really. Did you have a lookout? You you were you were watching for him. Well, I was below deck with Ilaria, and we were discussing invasion strategies and <laughs> things of that nature. And then all of a sudden, he was just there. It was I don't know what happened. I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>